share some thoughts with you all. If you've got a Bible, great. It's a good start. It's a great book. Um, so we've got a couple of weeks before we head into our new series on resilient, looking at the book. Um, but what I thought we would do is I'm going to just address a bit of a topic, a bit of a thing um, that hopefully is interesting for you. It's interesting for me. Um, I'm going to share the inner workings of my, of my mind and how I, how I think and process stuff. And I hope that it's going to be helpful for you this morning in your thought process. Because um, the thing is, I, I'm not... I get, I get half an hour with you guys as, as a pastor, as a shepherd. I get half an hour a week. And, and some of you come every week. Some of you once a fortnight, once a month. So sometimes I get half an hour a month with some of our church. And so it's not a big window of opportunity for me to, um, to impart as a shepherd to the flock that has been entrusted to him. And so I'm not going to waste your time every week with a lifestyle message telling you to, to do better. You're awesome. Um, there's TED Talks for that. There's, there's self-help books for that. I'm going to preach the Bible and be a Bible teacher. And, and so the, I, my goal is that when you open your word, open the Bible midweek, you go, wow, I remember that. That's right. This is connected to this. this. And then it comes alive in you that the Holy Spirit will work in you and through you, through your knowledge of how to navigate God's word and use it for uh, your life. And I've got nothing against lifestyle messages. I just think, you know, week in, week out, I'm not going to do that for you. I'm going to teach the Bible. And, and nine times out of and everything that we, we teach here and say here is going to be applicable to your life. Uh, it's not just going to be dry biscuits. Um, it will be um, super helpful for you. But I think making sure we understand that God's word is God's word and how we then um, work through that is super duper important. So looking at Easter last week, the, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, I'm going to do a big leap forward into the return of Jesus. And I just want to um, poke the end times bear if I could, for the next two weeks, um, if that's okay. Full disclaimer, if you disagree with me, that's okay. You can disagree with me, as long as you give me permission to disagree with you, and we can hold hands and kill by our together. That'd be fantastic. Um, this, this is not an issue that we need to divide over at all. This is not a salvation issue. Um, we can have differences of opinion in how this will play out. I'm just simply going to show you what I believe the Bible says about this, and then you can do your own research and come up with your own conclusions yourself, and um, that'd be fantastic. We're going to start with 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. Um, this passage says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Other translations might say rightly divide the word of truth. So context here, the Apostle Paul, after Jesus, the most influential person in the history of the Christian um, religion or movement. He's writing this letter to Timothy, who's just taken on a church in Ephesus, a very, very large church. Timothy's quite young, in his early 20s, takes on this large church. That large church was pastored by John, John the Apostle, who was best mates with Jesus. So you could imagine there are big shoes to fill. A large church led by a guy who was Jesus' right-hand man, and then Timothy steps in to take on that church. No wonder Paul says stuff like, hey, be strong and courageous. Don't be, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but love, power, sound mind. You can do this. There's a lot of encouraging content in the, epistle, or in the letters to Timothy because of the context that Paul was writing to Timothy. So one of these things he says is, um, do your best, present yourself uh, to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be shamed, and um, prove yourself to be someone who correctly handles the word of truth. 
And that's what I want to do. I want to be the kind of pastor that correctly handles the word of truth, that preaches the Bible in context in a way that honors God, glorifies him, and helps the body of Christ. Um, not in a way that makes me look like a great orator. I don't care less about that. All I care about is us getting the truth of what God left for us in his word. So why am I preaching this um, about end times? Why am I touching on this stuff? Well, um, over the past few years, and this is the thing too, I think, what, what people don't understand about the local church, why it's so important, is that being a pastor, I have my finger on the pulse of the heartbeat of our church. I have conversations. I'm involved in life and death situations, marriage crises, health crises, um, financial. So I'm, you know, and if you've been around long enough, you'll know that, you know, we've interacted in some way or another in your life on a very personal level. So I, I get where we are as a church. And so my job is to then preach God's word in a way that would be in season for us to, to, to receive that seed that's helpful for us today. And so I've had many conversations over the last few years uh, with people about this issue in this church and outside of this church about end times and how it all wraps up and, uh, and what will all happen and things like that. And... Um, and people, uh, I found people have been incredibly, uh, a little bit distressed and fearful about like COVID and the vaccines. And there's a lot of stuff that happened around uh, the last two or three years that really got people confused. I found myself getting quite confused because, you know, for, for the last, well, maybe not so now, but the, the sort of 2020, 2021, you would open up your news feed and you would have this article saying, this is, this is crazy and all the reasons, and you're like, yes, but then this article rebuts that in equal manner, and you go, what do I believe? These two contra contradicting things, but e equal value and worth, I can see both sides, and the average person like me is in the middle going, what do I even believe? All these crazy conspiracy stuff, all the government saying, it's okay, we've got this covered, and, and it's just, it was such a confusing time. And having these conversations, I felt that from people as well. Um, I heard many ideas um, from people about um, what this meant in regard to end times and what was going to happen, how it was going to play out. Um, true story. This is a true story. I had someone come into my office upstairs right there and invite me and Anna and the kids to relocate to their rural estate um, and live off-grid. We would farm the land. We would stockpile food. He would give me a gun that he would train me to use so I could defend myself against the government, and we would just live on this beautiful little commune um, in, in this paddock somewhere. Like this, all because they thought, this is the end times, the government conspiracy. And I'm like, whoa, it was crazy. And so that's why I want to talk about this um, this morning. Um, a lot of these, these conversations I had with people included... References of the Bible and prophetic passages. Um, but what, what common thread I would pick up on was a sense of restlessness, a sense of fear that was etched into that, a, a sense of panic in people's spirit of they're uncertain and so they're, they're grasping at ideas and concepts and Bible prophecies and this and that to try and make sense of it all in, in order to, to somehow get peace. But they didn't get peace. They just got frantic conspiracies and ideas running around in their head that kept them trapped and didn't give them freedom. And so I want to share a few thoughts today on the end times. And I'm probably going to have to roll this into next week to really dive in a little bit deeper. Um, but I want to shed some light on what the Bible teaches about it. And I want to do so from, not from a point of fear, but from a point of hopeful optimism. We should never approach end times with fear but with hopeful optimism. 
Even though the, 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 the times might get darker, if we are in Christ and we believe what the Bible teaches, we win. At the end of the day, we win. We have the spoiler alert. Read the back. Read the last page of the Bible. Like we, it's it's going to be okay for us. We need not approach this topic with fear or anguish or anxiety. Um, it's going to be okay. Um, so, after all, as Paul encouraged Timothy, we don't have a spirit of fear. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Of power to realize that we have the God in us who is greater than anything around us. Um, we have love, which conquers all fear. And we have a sound mind to think rationally and logically about things and not be just throwing things around in the air and... Blah. It's like, no, no. Power, love, sound mind. Power, the Holy Spirit in us, love, which is the highest call, and a sound mind. We can think logically and rationally. So I've been around, um, as I said, the church life for a while, about 30 years um, and I remember, I remember back in the 80s and 90s, if you were in Pentecostal churches around then, churches were riddled with prophets. Can I do this? Prophets who would prophesy. Um, the world's going to end at this date. This is how it's going to happen. And there's, there's this thing happening over here in the Middle East, this thing, this thing, this thing, and therefore Jesus is going to come back here. Get ready. Get in order. Pack your bags. Stockpile stuff. I remember like even the Y2K thing, 20, year 2000, everyone was like, oh, my gosh. Here we are, 2023, I'm doing okay, how are you doing? Jesus is what now? Like, I've, I've been around long enough to see the, the pinball prophecies go around and around and around and you never see them go, look, I'm really sorry, I think I stuffed that up, I didn't get that right. No, it just becomes, no, well, that, that, the reason is because of this and then actually the new date is going to be here and it's like, man, for goodness sake, Jesus himself doesn't know the day or the hour. Who, thinks, who do you think you are to say that you know? What, did God bypass his son who's actually coming back to tell you before he told him? Like, but, but, but the church ate it up. We, the church, ate that crap up in the 80s and 90s because we just went along with it. Because the guy had a good voice or he had a, a compelling argument or he was a persuasive speaker. We look back now and we laugh, but if you were there, we were fearful. We went through that. So, but it's happening again now, and COVID's just the new version of it. The vaccine's the new version of end times and what's happening and, and what's happening in Israel and all this sort of stuff. It's like, well, I am not going to be shaken by that. I'm, I have power. I have love. I have a sound mind. Like, and the Bible is true, and the Bible is real. So we're going to touch on key topics, um, fun things like the rapture, um, that's going to be interesting. Um, tribulation and the mark of the beast. Wonderful topics to talk about. Um, and we're going to have a lot of fun with them. Um, and some of these I'll have to get to next week just because of time. But let's do a bit of groundwork. Before we start, um, I want to bring a word to your attention which is called hermeneutics. And I only say that to impress you that I know fancy words. Um, what that simple, simply means is, is how we interpret the Bible. Biblical interpretation, and, and it's important to know how we do this. So I want to start with this by saying, um, your grandma's source is better than yours. What the heck does he mean by that? Okay, let me tell you a story. So Anna's mum, uh, sorry, Anna's grandma Dot has this, this source, 
this, we call it Dot's chili sauce. And this sauce is ridiculous. And, and she's no longer with us. She passed away a few years ago. But, but she would make batches of this sauce and then she would, she would give it out to us or, or different events and you dip. It was, like, it was like this tomato sauce with chili and had some oregano in it and a little, bit of, a little bit of spice, a little bit of sour, a little bit of sweet. And you'd have a corn chip and it was just like a party in your mouth and it was amazing. And, 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 and you'd finish a bite and as you swallowed, all your taste buds would high-five each other and they're having a great time. It was wonderful. And then she'd give us the recipe for it, rookie. And she left out key ingredients, obviously, because we tried to make it and it never turned out the same. And so we would scramble and go, oh, maybe it was this, maybe it was that. But no matter what we did, we would never get Dot's chili sauce the same. Hers was the bomb. And you might have your own version of that in your family, that grandma makes the best lasagna or the best bolognese sauce. And the reason she makes the best bolognese sauce and yours turns out subpar is because what we normally do is we just grab whatever's in the pantry and try and put it into a pot and we hope for the best. But with grandma, she's got a method. She's got a time-tested true method that she follows and has year after year after year, which gives her that result every single time which is better than yours. And so the same is true with biblical interpretation. We can grab random stuff out of the pantry of our thought and grab random scriptures and sound bites and TikTok preachers and and then we formulate a source or a theology or an idea and it doesn't line up with orthodox Christianity, what the church has believed and taught for the last 2,000 years because there is a method and a system to rightly dividing the word of truth for us to get what God intended for us to have and the truth that God put in the scriptures for us to find. Just because it's 2023 and we've got Google, we've got smartphones doesn't mean that we are smarter than the early church fathers who didn't have any of that sort of stuff but would have to labour over, uh, over the word to study and meditate to get the truth out of it. C.S. Lewis calls that chronological snobbery where we look down our nose over history and go we are so much smarter than you we are so much better than you we've got it figured out no 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 No, we don't have the secret source they've got the source which is time tested and true methods of correct biblical interpretation that we would do ourselves a disservice by not listening and leaning into that in order to get the true meaning of what God has for us in his word so here's what I mean by that Um, not all scripture is literal. That might shock you and offend you. But isn't, isn't it God's word? Isn't it in error? Isn't it perfect? Yep, all the above. Now, for those who are nerds out there and go, but hold on a minute, it's not perfect. No, it's not perfect. It's like 99.59% perfect. And the small little 0.01% where it's imperfect is grammatical errors. And in no way does it, does it affect the true meaning of the text. So when people say the Bible is, is, has errors, yes, it does. But they're minuscule and they never, ever, ever impact the overall meaning of the text. It's just a, a, a phrasing of a word or a sentence that doesn't, you know, or a spelling mistake, it's fine. So not all scripture is literal. Got to understand that. Um, some is poetic. We heard about poems this morning from David. Um, so, so Psalms is quite poetic. Um, Song of Songs is provocatively um, poetic, if you know what I'm saying. You can read that at home with your husband and wife. Um, 
some are allegorical or stories, and some scriptures are prescriptive, some scriptures are descriptive, right? Prescribing a method of living, or describing an event in history. So there's different ways. And what we're going to understand is the Bible is compiled of 66 books written over two and a half thousand year period by 40 different authors. So it's not going to be the same thing. There's different styles, different flavors, different reasons. Like there's, there's prophetic books and then there's history books and then there's the, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus books. And so it's such a variety in the Bible that, that we need to understand that in order to correctly divide or correctly interpret the word of truth. Here's some examples. So in Mark chapter 2, Jesus heals the paralytic. Um, the house is packed, full of people. Um, these four mates have got this friend who is paralytic and therefore can't walk. And so they can't get him into the house. So they climb on the roof, they cut a hole in the roof, and they lower him down. That literally happened. Okay? Now, we don't then go, what do, we, what do we conclude from that story? That if we cut a hole in a roof and lower someone down who's sick, they'll be healed. That makes no sense at all. Some would be... Stupid enough to do that. Um, but, but when you understand context, okay, so the context was it was just a busy room. That's all they could. The context is actually the lengths you're prepared to go to to demonstrate faith to God. That's the point, is how far will you go to test your faith to trust God for what you need from him? These guys were willing to climb a roof and cut a hole in it. What are we willing to do? So, the, so that literally happened, but the, the, the context is not for us to drop people through roofs. The context is to us have faith in Jesus as the healer. Um, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. This is not just describing something that Paul said to the Roman church. This is prescriptive. This is prescribing a way of living. This is prescribing a way for salvation, that the only way we can actually be saved is to do this stuff, to confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. So, so that is quite literal in what it's saying and quite um, prescriptive. John 6, 53, 55, um, Jesus says, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. What do we take from that? That Jesus is uh, endorsing cannibalism? That we should literally go and eat flesh and drink blood? Like, I know that sounds crazy, but, but it's so important to have a healthy understanding of what the Scripture is actually saying. Um, and you might think this is funny and this is, this is pretty obvious and Justin, you're preaching at a kindergarten level. Well, I'm not. And, and here's why I think it's important because here's what can happen. An article in the NBC News from the 17th of February 2014 reads like this. A Kentucky pastor who started in, starred in a reality show about handling snakes during church services died Sunday night after a fatal snake bite, police said. Pastor Gregory Jamie Coots, the star of the National Geographic Channel's Snake Salvation, died at Full Gospel Tabernacle in Jesus' name in Middlesbrough, Kentucky, after suffering a snake bite to his finger. Middlesbrough Police spokeswoman Jenny Miller said um, on Sunday night, Coots was bitten at the church at 8.30pm but died at his home two hours later after refusing medical treatment because of religious beliefs. He said the animal was believed to be a rattlesnake. Handling snakes is practiced by a handful of fundamentalist churches based on an interpretation of certain Bible verses that say true Christians should be able to handle serpents without being harmed. National Geographic's Senior Vice President of Communication, Chris Albert, said that the channel had no plans for another season of snake salvation. What a, that's a shame, isn't it? No, no season two. Oh, dear. 
However, we hope to air a special tribute to people uh, so they can understand Pastor Jamie and his method of worship and see that he died doing what he believed was his calling. Oh, oh shame. Uh, we were constantly struck by his devout religious convictions despite the health and legal peril he often faced. Those risks were always worth it to him and his congregants as a means to demonstrate their unwavering faith, a statement from National Geographic read. In 2008, four years earlier, Kentucky Fish and Wildlife officers arrested Coots after confiscating more than 100 snakes from his home. Following that arrest, Coots told Kentucky NBC affiliate that I'm not going to stop buying snakes. I've been bitten seven times by a snake. I've even lost a finger to a snake. In 2012, a preacher in West Virginia was also bitten by a snake during a similar ritual and died after he did not go to hospital for over eight hours. This is why rightly dividing the word of truth is important. So it says here that these, these churches practiced these disciplines because of certain Bible verses. Now, what are those Bible verses? I'm glad you asked. Matthew 16, 18 says, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. Okay, cool. Talking about the Great Commission. Luke 10, 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. Right, it seems pretty straightforward. Here's where it gets interesting, because Jesus says this, right? We can't deny that Jesus said this in Luke 10, 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. The very next verse, right? Context is Jesus sends out his disciples and says, go heal the sick, cast demons out. They come back. We did it, God. It was amazing. Jesus is phenomenal. We healed blind eyes. We, we cast out demons. It was epic. It was sick. And then in verse 10, uh, verse 20, or verse 19, I'll give you authority. Yeah, yeah. Then verse 20, however, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you or that you have authority over snakes and scorpions. Instead, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. So what I, what I gather from that is Jesus is saying, yeah, I've given you authority and, and, and you have all power because you've got power, love and a sound mind. But, but don't get all jacked up on the signs, the wonders, the miracles and the fancy stuff. Get jacked up that your name is written in heaven. That's the most important thing. This guy was, was making peripheral things primary, this pastor. I'm, I'm collecting 100 snakes. We're going to do snakes. Like, why are you making peripheral things primary? The primary things is the, is the fact that you have salvation, that you've been found in Jesus. He has set you free from sin and death and given you a brand new life. That is primary. And people that find themselves playing in the peripheral and bringing it to the front, that's where danger, that's where cults start, that's where weird and wacky crap happens because they're not rightly dividing the word of truth. They're taking things that should be out there and putting it right here. Now, we have a reason for things that are peripheral, and we can explain those things logically with our sound mind, but they should not be the things that we, the hills that we die on. The hill we die on is, is, is Jesus and salvation, and no other name can man be saved but, but through the name of Jesus. Jesus brings some common sense and perspective. Um, we've got to remember that God is not the author of confusion, but the, order of, uh, the God of order and peace, 1 Corinthians 14. Okay. I know you're going, when do you get to the end time stuff? I'm getting there. Give me a minute. I've only got not long. Um, yeah. So when it comes to end time stuff, 
the reason why a lot of wacky stuff's out there is because it's not being approached with a healthy hermeneutic. It's not being approached by rightly dividing the word of truth and interpreting scripture as it was intended. And that's how we get to the point where people think that the COVID vaccine is the mark of the beast. That's how we get there. I'm just going to call it for what it is. Um, that is insane. That is wacky. That is not rightly dividing the word of truth. And here's, here's how I know that. Because we've got to ask ourselves, see, Revelation, right, where we get this stuff from, a lot of the end time stuff, was not written to you. It wasn't written to me. It's written for me and it's written for you, but not to you. So we've got to stop and go, well, who is it written to? It's written to a church, or seven churches actually, in AD 90. Like, look at your watch. It's 2023. That's a couple of years ago. AD 90. That's who that, this letter that John wrote, he had a vision, wrote this letter that long ago. So we've got to ask ourselves, well, what did it mean to them then? Because I'm no historian. I, I promise you I'm not. But I'm, I'm 70% confident in AD 90, there were no needles, there were no vaccines, and the sure as heck were not microchips. So, so how could the church then interpret the mark of the beast to be a vaccine that contained a microchip inserted into someone through a needle? It would make, there's no frame of reference for them. We, we can't expect Scripture to mean something different then than it does now. God's word is truth throughout all eternity. And this is why it's important to go, what is, has the church believed about this for so long? Because it can't mean something different to us now than what it meant for the original, original readers. It just simply can't. That's, that's poor hermeneutics. So, so there, was no, there was no vaccine, there was no microchip, so therefore they weren't interpreting it that. What were they interpreting it as? And maybe we could learn from that today and what maybe it would be. Um, and that's the thing. It's like, and then... Okay, so, so microchips. Microchips is the mark of the beast. We're going to get a microchip in a head, microchip in a hand. Um, okay, so, so the millions of people that have pacemakers that contain microchips to keep the heart beating in rhythm, have they received the mark of the beast? Because they've had chips implanted in them. And there's other devices and, and things that have been implanted in people. Like, how far do we take this microchip thing um, to to believe a doctrine that, that I honestly believe is not biblical at all. Um, this, this is what is called, and, and I'm going to unpack this a lot more next week, but this is called newspaper exegesis. And this is terrible theology. This is a terrible way of doing things, where we read a newspaper, we read a news article, we see what's happening in the world around us, and we take that information and we jam it over the scriptures to make it fit what's going on in the world. And what we do when we do that is we elevate... Uh, events of current, the current times as this is the gold standard, this is what is happening, and I'm going to make the Bible fit that because that just fits my idea. That, that is like grandma's source going, whatever's in the pantry, whatever's going on there, bit of scripture, bit of that, bit of that, whips it around, and what theology do we have? Usually it's garbage. We have to take the word of God, right, and understand that, and then we hold that up against the world events and go, where am I seeing God at work here? And we see the world through the lens of what the Bible teaches, not the Bible through what the world is presenting. 
And that's where we get weird, wacky prophecies, when it's the other way around, when it's wrong. Newspaper exegesis, newspaper hermeneutics, where we start with the world in order to make God's word fit. Wrong, wrong, wrong. This means that then scripture is minimized, world events are maximized. So I say all that to say that now we're building a healthy framework for how to understand end times. Um, through a biblical lens of, okay, is, is what we read through Jesus' teaching and through John's um, vision in, in Revelation, is it literal? Is it poetic? Is it figurative? Is it prescriptive? Is it descriptive? How does it fit with the rest of Scripture? How does it fit with church history? What has the church generally believed about this for 2,000 years? And then where can we land on it today to give us peace of mind so that we're not afraid of end times, but we approach it with a healthy optimism, knowing that at the end of the day, we win. And so we're going to look at next week, we're going to look at um, tribulation, we're going to look at the rapture, we're going to look at the mark of the beast in a little bit more depth and unpack those. And hopefully, um, I will do them enough justice in one sermon to give you guys at least a healthy understanding of what the end times mean for the Christians so we can approach it with, um, with, with faith and not fear. And, and keep in mind that, like I said at the very beginning, you might disagree with my conclusions on all this sort of stuff. You're entitled to do that. That is completely fine. Um, and let's agree to disagree. Let's keep Jesus the main thing. Let's not worry about the snakes and the serpents and the drink and the poison. Let's worry about our name together being written in heaven. Let's keep that as the main thing. And then we can agree to disagree about whether we're going to just keep snakes in our basement and play around with them as, as the Lord wills. Honestly, seriously. Anyway. Got much more to say about that, but I'll refrain from now. But that's all I've got for you this morning. So I just again wanted to share my heart and the inner workings of my my brain, how I think about this sort of stuff, because I, I worry for people when they get whipped up into a frenzy about end time stuff and it steals their peace and it steals their joy. It shouldn't do that. End time stuff should give us hope. To give us life. Now, of course, the world's going to get darker, but that's okay. We can expect that, but we win. And it's all good in the end. Let me pray for you. God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for, um, Lord, this, this idea around end times and, and your second coming and, and how this all wraps up and, and what that means for us. And Lord, I know that I didn't really cover much ground practically with those topics today, but next week, Lord, I, I pray that. You would speak powerfully through me and give us all wisdom and clarity on that. And Lord, for those of us that might be struggling and, and be like me in the middle, that feel like for so long I've been bouncing by all these ideas and, and, and voices in the world and, and not sure what to believe, Lord, I pray that you would help us find that middle ground of what should be primary and what should be periphery and, and that we would find peace and comfort and life in that. And Lord, I pray that you bless us this week, bless our families, our households, our, our health. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.